0: Good morning. Good morning. Okay, OK. <laughs> it is a pleasure to be able to stand before you once again. We're going to continue in our study as we walk through the book of Malachi. So if you would find your place there this morning, we'll be uh, overviewing Malachi chapter three. Malachi chapter 3. So if you would find your place there in verse number 6. And this morning we'll be reading Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. In our text this morning, you will hear a dialogue between God and Israel. Though there are many themes that can be drawn from the text, I think that the main theme that bleeds throughout is repentance leading to right fellowship with God. I know this is a familiar text and people often uh, deal with the text from disposition of money. Uh, tithing is one of the themes that is in the text. But if I think if we look long and hard and we look at the text as a whole, we can see that God is wanting his people to come. So as we stroll through the text, you would see The people of God being rude, disrespectful, and full of pride. So the Lord engages with his disobedient people out of loving kindness, tender mercies, while warning them of the dangers of unrepentance. Before I pray, I'd like to read a quote from Augustine. And Augustine says, and I quote, Though good and bad men suffer alike, we must not suppose that there is no difference between the men themselves. Because there is no difference in what they both suffer, for even in the likeness of the sufferings, There remains an unlikeness in the sufferers and though exposed to the same anguish, virtue and vice are not the same thing. For as the same fire causes gold to glow brightly and chaff to smoke and under the same flail the straw is beaten small while the grain is cleansed. And as the leaves are not mixed With the oil, though squeezed out of the vat by the same pressure, so the same violence of affliction proves, purges, clarifies the good, but damns, ruins, exterminates the wicked. And thus it is that in that in the same affliction, the wicked detests God and blasphemes. While the good pray and praise, unquote. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we come to you, seeking your help, your guidance. We need you, Lord God, to help us as we hear from you. We hear your word. In our ears, we pray that you would grant us a clear mind that we might grasp the riches of your word, the truth that is illumined by your spirit. Lord God, bring about change and repentance, obedience. Lord God, help us to look and be satisfied with you. As we glean from your word the truth of scripture, Lord, help us that we might run to you the more. Lord God, fix our minds, our thoughts, that we only would focus on you, Lord. Remove all of distractions we pray and when all said is done, you would get the glory, the honor, and the praise. We ask all of these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. So, hopefully you're at Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading at verse 6. Hear now the word of the living God. For I, the Lord, do not change Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with the curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts, if I would not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts morning, my sermon, as you can see in your bulletins, is entitled, Return to Me, and I Will Return to You. In this exposition, I will consider three points, a call to fellowship, refusing to fellowship, and fellowshipping with God. a call to fellowship. From the start, God reminded the people of Israel of his unchangeable nature. The beginning of this dialogue, the Lord recalls for them the being of God. In verse six, the Lord states, for I, the Lord, do not change. The Lord made it clear to the people that his character, purposes, plans, and promises never change. God is consistent, unchanging in his being, his character, his plan, and his purpose. How do we know? We know because it's written in Holy Scripture. The being of God does not change the psalmist says in Psalm one hundred two twenty seven, but you are the same and your years have no end then in Hebrews 1:12, the writer states like a robe you will roll them up like a garment they will be changed but you are the same and your years have no end he continues in chapter 13, verse 8, stating, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if that's not enough, in James 1.17, the text says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Beginning to see, the scripture teaches us about the being of God, the character of God. The character of God does not change. What do we know about God's character? Number one, God is good. God is good. Some, how many of you would testify that God is good? Say amen. 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 Psalm 34, 8, the psalmist would agree with you. The psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Not only is God good, but God is Holy. Hannah prayed after the Lord opened her womb, enduring much pain and sorrow and and being made fun of and teased because she could not bear children. Here it is when God opened her womb in 1 Samuel 2 and 2, she says, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do you feel that way sometimes as you contemplate the goodness of God, the holiness of God? It will cause you to praise him and to honor him and to adore his name and say, like Hannah says, there is no one like the rock, the one like our God. At this very moment, you can just imagine that Hannah was able to comprehend the holiness of God. God being separated from all the rest. and say, there's no one like you. All you have to do is experience God at work in your lives, looking and being satisfied with him, and you too will be like Hannah. Unable to control your emotions and tears rolling down your face because of the goodness of God. Even the demons declare that the Son of God is holy because of his divine power over darkness. In Mark one twenty four, the demons shuddered asking, What have we, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the holy one of God. What else do we know about God's character? We also know that God is faithful. Yes, Psalm 36:5 says, "Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds." In other words, God is faithful from the east to the west, from the north to the south. God is faithful in all things. Hebrews 3 and 6 says, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope. And in addition to faithfulness of God, God is also just and righteous. Psalm 33, 5 says he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of God. Isaiah thirty-eighteen says, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. He's a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. It's easy for us to go off on the beating pass, path for revenge. Trying to force the issue rather than waiting on God. God in the text says we are blessed for waiting God is waiting on us so that he might bless us and be gracious to us. The Lord sees all things. He knows all things. Zephaniah 3 and 5 says, the Lord within her, ri- within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice each dawn he does not fail but the unjust knows no shame and lastly a fifth characteristic is is God is loving God is loving well, well what about you can you testify to the love of God amen you can testify to the love of God yes amen that's a question okay <laughs> Amen, God is is a loving God. God is a, a merciful God. He's a compassionate God. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. In other words, God is looking to be kind. Romans 5 and 8 says, but God shows his love for us And that while we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died. That's love. God not only says that he loves us, but he demonstrated it by going to a cross even while we were still sinners. God had a plan to love us despite our sins because his plan was to redeem us to himself. But understand this. That love does not go without discipline. Hebrews 12 and 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. And so it's not going to be as if God is going to allow us to run around and do everything that we want to do. There is structure. God wants us to go in the path that leads to life and peace. Psalm eighty six fifteen but you O Lord are a merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And and Isaiah 63, 7 says, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. We wanted to lay a foundation so that we can kind of think about who we are talking about in the text. Who, who we're looking at the scriptures and we're trying to glean from the scripture what's going on here. So we want to lay a foundation about the character of God. And so the characteristics... Uh, Reveal the nature of God's being and God's being as we've already stated is unchangeable That's the beauty of all that I've said is that we don't have to worry about God changing on us We have that problem with each other Say one thing do another Right say you're gonna be here at one time and be here at another time right? It's slippery. We can't even hold. When one another says something, when we say something to one another, it slips through and something else gets done. But with God, he never changes. God does not, cannot, will not ever change in his goodness, his holiness, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his mercy, his love, and his compassion. So this is the picture that the Israelites have when God says, I am the Lord that do not change. So because God does not change, he comforts his covenant people with the promise. He says, if God says, I do not change, I promise you. And then he says, therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. These are the words of a comforter. Because even though God has the right to destroy them because of the sin that they have committed in the land, the Lord says, you are mine. You're my covenant people. And the Lord does not change so the people are, are being pursued by God who keeps promises and whose words are true and does not change. Psalm. So, um, 33 and 4 says, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. So though the Lord is calling Israel to have right fellowship with God, the people are unrepentant and unwilling to change. This is the picture. God begins the conversation This leads me to my next point. In verse 7, it states, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. It's as if God says, I will not change, I do not change, but you haven't changed either. Now, that's not a good thing for them because they're sinning. God does not change in his goodness, in his righteousness, his holiness, his justice. God never change in that respect. He doesn't go to the right or to the left. He's eternal. He remains the same. But we, on the other hand, we change all the time. The people were changing. They were saying one thing and doing another. And so the Lord the Lord brings this to their their minds and their hearts to think about this, and so from the beginning, God warned His people not to break covenant in Leviticus. 26, 14 through 17, we see that Moses warned Israel as to what would happen to them if they disobeyed the commands of God. The text says, but if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statues and if your soul abhors my rule so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will will visit you with panic and wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache and you shall sow your seed in vain. Remember the The people are being confronted about their harvest and what they're doing with it. They're they're supposed to be bringing a tide into the storehouses of God. And God is saying, look, if you disobey me, I'm going to affect your harvest. In other words, I'm going to discipline you. He says, I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. This explains the bondage that they were in, being conquered over and over again. It was because of disobedience. You remember when Joshua was in line with God and was following God and the people of God were following the Lord, as long as they were keeping in step with God, the Lord blessed them and they conquered and they destroyed and they took over and they were blessed. But when they sinned, the Lord says, there's sin in the camp and you must deal with it before you can move forward. The covenant people of God demonstrated their unfaithfulness to him by continuing to practice sin. They did so by engaging in prostitution, abandoning God, putting their trust in money and possessions. And even the men were marrying foreign women from other nations, which was forbidden Israel continued in sin and disobeyed the Lord just as the previous generations had done. They were uncommitted to the things of God. It was their duty to give a tenth of their produce. Instead, they kept it for themselves what belongs to God. God is seeking repentance from his people, according to verse 7. God calls his people to repentance and fellowship, saying, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. God desires to have fellowship. And in the beginning of Genesis, we learned that, man, it used to be a time that man would fellowship with God, as the scripture says, in the cool of the day. But sin has come in and disturbed and dismantled and destroyed all of that. So there must be a restoration. There, there, there must be Redemption. And that picture comes through the person and work of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Yes, God desires to have fellowship with his people, but the requirement for fellowship with God is repentance. Not only is it repentance to have a relationship, but it's also required to continue in fellowship Second King 1713 says the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer saying turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statute in according in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants the prophets. So we see this picture. Of God warning his people to repent. He sent prophets, he sent seers, he sent people of all kinds. Turn from your evil ways. Keep my commandments. Psalm 34, 14 says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Isaiah 55, 7 says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let them return to the Lord. See this picture of returning to the Lord, that he may have compassion. In other words, we need to go to God and we need to repent so that God might pour on us his compassion. God is, is warning to be merciful to us. As if God says, I can't can't wait to pour out my goodness. You you think we enjoy giving good gifts to our children? Imagine the creator looking upon his creation and saying, oh, how I I want to pour out on them. We see a picture of this with, with Jesus as he was leaving Jerusalem. He looked back and said, oh, Jerusalem. I would have loved you as a chick loves as a chick loves her as a hen loves her chicks can't get that out but the picture you see this picture of a loving relationship right a god loving his people return to me that I might have compassion on you and then that same verse isaiah 55 seven says and to our God for he will a Abundantly pardoned. The children of of Jacob, it's interesting that they're called the children of Jacob. The people who has the likeness of a deceiver. You You remember Jacob when he deceived his father, right? It's interesting that the writer here says the children of Jacob. In other words, you deceptive people. You're always changing. Must here we have the people who has the likeness of the of a deceiver, they must change from their wicked ways and in a sense become whom God wants them to be. And so they're to return to the Lord, who is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore so that he might be gracious to them and add to them his benefits. Have you drifted from God in a particular area of your life? Is there something you're dissatisfied with and is now in a place where you're shifting blame to God and accusing him of something you believe that he did or didn't do. This is, this is the spirit in which the children of Jacob are operating out of. We must check these feelings that come in and we must place them under the sovereignty of God. When life seems unfair, when it seems as if the world is coming down, as we look into politics and everything that's going on there, we have to make sure that we are being Christians. We don't want to be moved with the things that are going on in our day. We must plant our feet in Christ. The one who is the same Today, yesterday, and forevermore. And so we have to remind ourselves when we find ourselves feeling that way, the Lord does not change. After the people heard God's plea for them to return, the people rejected God's offer and, in, in, in essence, refused God. The people responded. To God's call to repentance, saying, how shall we return? It's there in the text. How shall we return? The covenant people of God asked the prophet of God, in essence, how should they show repentance? In other words, what have we done? Now, we, we know this is Israel. We, 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 we're, we're pretty familiar with their history. And how they constantly disobeyed God. And we can identify with that. We're not identifying ourselves as being self-righteous. We can come alongside Israel and say we are the same way. We continue to neglect God's word. We continue to do what he told us not to do. We trespass into places. We look at things we ought not to look at. We say things we ought not to say. We get angry without repenting. You see, and so we're able to to relate to Israel. We don't want to put Israel out on the island as if we can't relate to them. The people responded, how shall we return? At first glance, it, it might seem as if they're concerned about doing the right thing. It's as if they are going to the prophet say, "You know what? You're right. You know, what? What, what have we done?" But 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 that can't be the conclusion. Truthfully, they—they um, they were not concerned at all. Rather than admitting that their failures in keeping God's command, they instead. Challenge and question the prophet of God. Like, what do you mean? We've sinned. Th- these people were not concerned about God's law and keeping and holding it and obeying it. They were not repentant at all. They didn't lose a step. What do you mean we sinned? Sin in what? What have we done? But first, in regards to sorrow for sin, the word of God says in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Do they sound like a broken spirit? A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You see, as we follow up, we say, "Ah, oh, this is not adding up. They're they're not doing these Psalm thirty-four eighteen says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. In other words, we ought to be broken for our sins that we've committed against God. The people of Israel are to be broken because they have sinned against a holy and righteous God. We must be like David in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Christians must address areas of weaknesses which lead to sin. If we don't get in front of it, we can easily find ourselves slipping and falling. If we don't wipe up the mess early, we will find ourselves falling in sin and then wondering What happened? All we have to do is follow the thread and it will lead us. We must inspect ourselves. We must make sure that we are not committing sin against God. The way we're able to do that is to know his word. His word, as the scripture says, is a light unto our feet and a lamp into our pathway. It's the word of God that helps us to see clearly and plainly so that we might not misstep, but we can plant our feet firmly in God. Knowing that our steps are sure. We we, we must move from sin to repentance. Genuine repentance includes sorrow, confession, and forsaking sin. After the children of Jacob were aware of their sins, they should have repented. Obviously, they were still in a state of sin. In order for anyone to have complete fellowship with God, the one who does not repent will be separated from God throughout all eternity and at the judgment day. Sin affects Everything. Sin affects how we relate to God. It affects the whole man. It affects our thoughts, our actions, our decisions. Without repentance, no one can truly have fellowship with God. Repentance is not an option, repentance is necessary. Faith in God requires a willingness to turn to God in humble submission. One must be born again before having true fellowship with God. In verse 8, God continues his dialogue with the people in response to the saying, Will man Rob God. In other words, should the creature steal from the creator? It's as if God says, it's mine anyway. Will a man rob God? The Lord continues saying, yet you, Israel, the children of Jacob, the whole nation, you children of Jacob are robbing me. The Israelites knew that robbery was against the law. It was forbidden and it displeased God and would eventually lead to judgment. Isaiah 61.8 says, the Lord says in, in this text, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. God will eventually, as we know, will send a remedy for this in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work upon the cross. After the people learn that they offended God, they should have fessed up and acknowledged their sins. Then they should have repented of their sins. Instead, the people responded saying, how have we robbed you? God gave the revelation. He exposed their sins. The children of God knew they were guilty, but pride blinded them and kept them in the dark, and the people suppressed the truth and remained in sin. The people continue sinning. And they were not only sinning, they were sinning In the sight of God, Jesus the Lord says, and this is the judgment. The people asked, how have they robbed God? Though God could have answered their question with a long list of wrongdoings and failures, uh, some we know of already, but he responded with this particular downfall and neglect, and he says, tithes and contributions, tithes and offerings. Tithing was not something new to the Israelites. In, In fact, tithing was a place I'm sorry, tithing was in place and was practiced before Moses gave the law of God to the people of God. God's people were accustomed to following their traditions and obeying the law of God. The tithe is an act of obedience to God. It's not to beat you up, aside uh, aside the head. Uh, You don't see us pushing money here. Me and Kurt, Pastor Kurt, we step back from that. And we're just trusting that the people of God will respond to the word of God without us having to twist arms and to have all kinds of programs and everything and fundraisers. We're just believing in God that the people of God would obey the word of God. And so here, the tide is an act of obedience we don't know anything about what you're giving. The tithe, it ought to be given out of obligation and duty to honor the Lord and for the work of ministry. It was communicated by God in, in Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. In other words, God will supply all that you need as you are faithful to him. The body of Christ benefits from the tithe and contributions given to the church for the poor and for the work of God. Paul expressed appreciation to the Philippians who shared with him and helped him in supplying his need by their contributions for the work of ministry. Listen to Philippians four. Beginning at verse 14, Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul is recognizing that you guys are getting underneath the burden with me. You're helping me. And you Philippians Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in the glory of Christ. So we see that the people, God's people, shared in the giving, shared in the ministry, and there are many other verses that we can quote. quote, quote but I'm running out of time. The Lord God. Because of their disobedience, the Lord God declared a curse on the nation of Israel if they did not obey the commands of God. In verse 9, he states, you are the curse. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation. Disobedience to the law of God can sometimes lead to divine curses. It's found in, we see a picture of this in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through 19. It talks about a curse. When we talk about a curse, a curse involves suffering. A curse involves shame. It involves adversity and all kinds of calamities. One might even be separated from family when a divine curse is placed upon them. The Jews disobeyed God at various points throughout the generations, but we can learn from those that have gone before us. Sometimes we we struggle. Sometimes we struggle with failure at different points in our lives. And when we see others fail at points in their lives, we must be careful not to judge too quickly. Despite how the situation might appear, we are to always show compassion toward those that have fallen into sin. We should have a mind to restore. We should have a mind of restoration. We should have a mind to show compassion to those who have fallen. We must be ready to restore them. So I have a question for you. Have you cheated God in areas of your life? In other words, have you, have you robbed God? That too would be considered spiritual robbery. This is something I'm throwing out there for us to think about as we think through this week. How am I spiritually robbing God? Maybe it's not tied to an offering. Are you robbing God of time? The very time that he gave you, are you spending time with God? Do you set aside enough time for prayer and time in his word to feed your soul? Scripture teaches us, man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that precedes out of the mouth of God. We must feed our souls. Are you neglecting the opportunities to fellowship with sisters and brothers in Christ? Are you robbing God by withholding about not or, or by not using your spiritual gifts that are meant for the body of Christ for sanctification and edification? Could you do more? Could you give more? Are you giving God the best of your time, talents, and treasures? Are you truly living for the glory of God? In what area of your life Where you're not giving your best family devotion, personal devotion, training your children, work, etc. Can you truly say you are maturing in faith? Where's your zeal? If God was to put a spotlight on your life, where would your zeal be? Where would your adoration be? You see, God desires Fellowship. This is my last point. It's not much there. Please, I beg your patience. Fellowshiping with God. The Lord is about restoration. Even when the people of God deserves righteous wrath. God is merciful, loving, kind, forgiving, and he's unchangeable in that. In verse 10, the Lord urges the people, return. Return. Have fellowship with me. The Lord encourages and spurs the people on to repentance saying, bring the full tide. In other words, if you're stealing, stop stealing and, and give, be generous. And he says that you're to bring in the full tide. If you only brought a, a, a certain amount, bring it all in now. Glorify me. Bring the full tide that there may be food in my house. God's covenant people took the tithe for themselves. They they offered God the rest. They took for themselves and said, you can have that. They, They gave God whatever they wanted to give. Give God. They weren't in step with keeping the law. They kept back some of what God gave them to serve themselves. And this was... The whole nation, the whole nation, they were familiar with the law. They they were familiar that stealing was wrong. God identified their sins. The prophet prophet Jeremiah can relate to this, for he also warned Israel of the shame they would face because of their disobedience to God. In Jeremiah 2.26, he states, as a thief is shamed when caught, so the house of Israel shall be shamed. They, their kings, their officials, their priests, and their prophets. So, After God called the people to forsake their sins and repent, he demonstrated his mercy towards his beloved people saying, put me to the test. Try me. Try me. Me, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour you a blessing until there is no more need. The Lord is calling upon his people to exercise their faith in him through obedience. We may only test God through faith and obedience but never through doubt, disbelief, and disobedience. In in this case, the nation of Israel should have tested God through their faith in him by obeying his command to tithe. Instead, they express doubt, disbelief, and disobedience. And I'm going to close With this, for our minds and hearts, we know that God is ready to send an outpouring of blessing upon those in need. We serve a compassionate God who extends mercy. Our God is majestic, righteous, gracious, faithful, and just. Listen to the psalms in Psalm 111, and you might want to mark this here to come back so that you might glean from it all that you can. Psalm 111 uh, says this, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them full of splendor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful faithful, and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded the covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. If you do not have A relationship with Christ. Return to the Lord. You see, sin has called us to be separated. Christ is the means by which we can return to God and be stored. Believe in this. Christ died for my sins. Was buried for my sins. Rose again from the grave for my sins. And the scripture says, You shall be saved, for it is by grace that you are saved. It is a gift of God, lest no man should boast. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to pay anything. God is all that you need. Believe in him, trust in Christ, and be saved. We started out, the Lord says, return to me, and I will return to you. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. Apply your word to the hearts and peop- to the hearts of your people. May you be glorified and honored in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, Amen.